Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together. In my wrestling, in my doubts, in my failures, we won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Oh, you are the peace. In my troubles, in the silence you won't let go. In the questions the truth will hold. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubles, Safe to show, safe to show, safe 
Good morning. I'm Emily Hoffman. I'm the Children's Ministry Director. And in your bulletin, you'll have a, there's an insert about the Empowered to Connect conference. I am very excited that, beyond excited, that we're having the conference here in Hoven. Um, both of my children, I have two four-year-olds, and they're both adopted. So this conference is for adopted and foster parents. And it's also for parents with kids who have anxiety issues, anger issues, problems with um, sensory processing, kids that are just in a hard place and need that extra help and support. We're partnering with Fillmore Wesleyan. The conference will be at Fillmore Wesleyan Church. It is April 7th and 8th. It's a Friday and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. both days. We're asking for a $10 donation, which just covers your workbook. And you can go to our website to get in more information and to get tickets. So the part of the conference is they look at the brain. What's the brain doing? How are connections being made? Stress. How does stress affect the child? And then also looking at how do we love this child as Christ loves us. And their three main points are that children need to know they are safe. We all need to know <laughs> that we are safe. We have an adult that will listen to us and that these children know that they are precious. And when I look at my, especially my Joseph, who had a hard two years, first years of his life, I think, I want you so bad to know you are precious, and I just want to strangle you right now. <laughs> so this conference has been great for me to just show them Christ's love and what is going on in your little brain. Um, yeah, so if you are an adoptive or foster parent, which not many of you are, or if you help or support system or work with kids who come from hard places, this is a great conference. And if you can only attend one day, I think it's worth it. Um, and if this conference is not for you, you don't deal with this at all, I would suggest that you, if you know a family or you would like to babysit and help a family attend this conference, you can talk to a family or let me know and I can hook you up. So thank you very much. Thank you, Emily. Let's stand as we continue in worship together. Help me to journey beyond the familiar and into the unknown. Give me the faith to leave old ways and break fresh ground with you. My heart is focused on your Step forward on that. 
Tune my spirit to the music of heaven. And somehow make my obedience count for you. Call my spirit to
So since we spend time praying together today, we're going to do something a little bit different. 
Instead of me praying for us, we're all going to pray together. And so I want you, the altar still open. If you want to come and kneel at the altar to offer your prayers, please feel free to do that. But I want to invite you to offer one or two sentence prayers. And um, to just lift uh, before God the things that are burdening us. Maybe there are things in the bulletin. Uh, maybe people, maybe circumstances, situations in the world, maybe things that aren't in the bulletin but are burdens to you. Let, I want to invite you to, if you can, to stand where you are and offer your brief one or two sentence prayer. And um, just open this up to whoever would like to pray, in the balcony, down here, wherever you are. We'll begin with uh, just a few moments of silence to center our thoughts. And then uh, I will welcome all of us to pray. Father, we thank you for your invitation, gracious invitation to come and to share with you the burdens and the concerns of our hearts, of our world, of our lives. So now, Father, hear our prayers.
Father, we pray for the Casales and their ministry with Wicca Bible Translators. Brought your spirit upon them and all that they are working with, family. We pray, Father, for um, the needs that we represent here and beyond us. We thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you that you are loving and compassionate and, and that you are at work in ways that we can see and in ways that we cannot see. We honor you, we praise you, we glorify you. And we offer these prayers in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Please stand if you're able for the reading of the gospel. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be destroyed to the one, devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Before you're seated, let me invite you to take a couple moments and greet those around you. And as we did last week, we'll extend this time a little bit. So feel free to walk around and maybe introduce yourself to someone.
good snowball fights like go through life, there are questions that we ask ourselves and we ask each other about how do we live as citizens of the kingdom of God in this world? And one of those questions that I, I ask myself a lot, I suspect you might ask yourself that as well if you're a citizen of the kingdom or maybe because if you're not a follower of Jesus but you're curious as to what Christians do, one of the questions is how do we handle the everyday needs of life. How do we walk the fine line of these are needs, these are part of life, and being a disciple, a follower of Jesus? Now, the people who have different theories about that, you have some people in one extreme who say you should just give away everything you have, sell everything you have, and just rely on God to drop things in your lap or to rely on other people to help you. And on the other extreme, you have people who say you should get as much as you can You should accumulate as much as you can because it's all a blessing from God. And in fact, that's how you know God is blessing you because you have lots of stuff. And quite frankly, there's a part of me that that admires people who can live with this sort of abandoned, abandoned of everything they have. And there's part of me that envies people who have a theology that says I should get as much as I can. But the reality is I don't think either of those are right. I think they're both skewed perspectives. And that is certainly not what Jesus tells us here in the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon is is one of the means Jesus uses to reveal what the kingdom is like and specifically how do citizens of God's kingdom live in this world. And in this passage we've read this morning, Jesus is saying, giving us some answers to, to how we understand this idea of having needs, legitimate human needs, and and seeing them, understanding them, living with them as citizens of God's kingdom. And and I think that, you know, Jesus right away then starts talking about money, possessions. The word he uses, he uses the word money, is often translated that. Some of the versions translated use the word mammon, and that's really a transliteration of the word, and it, of the, I think it's the Aramaic word, it's, it's a transliteration of that. And it really just means possessions. What do you have? And, and Jesus is, is, begins talking about what we have, about money and possessions. And you might be thinking, man, he's back to that again, because we've been talking about that the last few weeks. 
And it's because Jesus isn't afraid to talk about money and possessions and stuff because he knows how important it is to us and he also knows how difficult it can be for us. You read through the Gospels and you will be amazed if you stop and look at it how how many times Jesus talks about money and possessions. It's because we need these things to live. We need money to buy food, to buy clothes, to have a place to, to live, to... To live, to do what we need to do in this world. You have to have some form of money. And, and Jesus is not saying that money is bad. He's not saying that possessions are bad. He's not saying you shouldn't put money in the bank and save it in order to, because you never know what's going to be coming down the road. And he's not saying you should never buy insurance in order to protect us you from catastrophic things. He's not in any way saying that. What he is saying is you need to be careful. You need to be thoughtful about money and possessions. I think Jesus is incredulous that there are actually people who think that what we have can bring us the kind of security that deep inside we're looking for. And yet, that's how a lot of times we live. Because he says, you do realize all this stuff's going to disappear someday, right? Even the tiniest little things like moths can get into your stuff and destroy it. And, and, and the things you have can rust. We live in this part of the country where rust on our vehicles is kind of a part of life, right? I mean, it's especially this time of year, all the salt and everything. And, and it's frustrating when that happens. But the reality is, even if we didn't live here, you, you keep a vehicle long enough and rust is going to develop. And this stuff is eventually going to disappear and, and it's thieves can come and take it. I suspect none of us live in a home that is completely thief-proof. It can all disappear in a moment. The stock market can change and our portfolio is down to zero. I mean, it, it, this has happened. We, and Jesus says, why would you think that this stuff that can disappear in a moment and someday when you die, it's all going to be gone anyway... Why would you put your faith and your trust and why would you obsess about those things? Because that's really what he's talking about. He's talking about what we obsess about. What's our focus? What's our passion? And he says, don't live with a short-sighted perspective about things. They're important. You have to have them. They're necessary. You need them. In fact, he says at one point, your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. Just don't make them the focus of your life. Don't make them the center point of your life. Don't live as if life is all about those things. See something bigger. Don't store for yourselves treasures that are going to eventually disappear. Store for yourself treasures that are eternal. So instead of thinking, how much can I keep and still be considered a citizen of the kingdom, how about the perspective of how much can I give away and still live. How generous can I be? The thing about possessions is that it always leads to worry and fear. When our focus is on trying to keep them, trying to control them, trying to maintain them, when our focus is really obsessing about them, then we're always worried we're going to lose them. And we spend our lives trying to protect them, trying to hang on to them, trying to... to do everything we can because we're worried, we're afraid, we're anxious that something is going to happen to them. 
so we wrap our arms around them. And Jesus says in the second half of this passage, don't worry about this stuff. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't obsess about it. The, the word he uses here is also in, in Exodus chapter 5. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh is adamant about not doing that. And he says to the, uh, to the slave leaders, the ones who are, who are ruling over the Israelites, he says, make them focus on their work instead of focusing on Moses' words. And it's the same word, the word focus. So make them worry, make them obsess about their work instead of making them, letting them obsess and worry about the things that Moses is talking about because I want them to know they are slaves. It's that word, it's that idea of obsessing about it, worrying about it. Your life is, is, is all wrapped up about it. And worrying about things doesn't mean that we aren't serious about things or planning about things. To not worry about the things that we need in the life in life doesn't mean we don't go to work. It doesn't mean that we don't add our effort to it. It doesn't mean that we don't pray. It doesn't mean that we aren't concerned about it because that's being human. I mean, if you know something is coming, you know some kind of payment is coming. I mean, some of you are here as college students, and one of the concerns you have is paying off your student loans. And it can, it can overwhelm you at times. Or how am I, what my job going to look like when I get out of school? What am I going to do? How am I going to pay bills? How am I going to live? I mean, that's just normal. You think about those things. But Jesus is saying, don't obsess about them. Don't make that the focal point of your life, but instead do something about it. Finish your education, get a job, pay what you're supposed to pay, move forward. Don't let it drive you. I mean, it's, it's the word that he uses here is also in Matthew 13. He tells the parable of the man who farmer goes out scattering seed all over the place, and some of it falls on a path, and it's so hard that it just sits there. And so... And so the path, the birds come and eat it. And then he talks about some falls on good soil and it produces this amazing crop and some falls in the rocks and it grows a little bit, but it chokes it out. And he says that represents the, the, uh, the persecution of life coming against us. And some of it falls in the thorny soil. And Jesus says that the, the falls among the thorns is like the people getting the message and it grows up, but the worries of this life and the lure of wealth choke it. That's why Jesus says, if you're worried about this stuff, if you're obsessing about it, you're a person who has little faith. Because the answer to, to money and possessions and worry is to remember who God is. That's really the central point of everything Jesus says here. Remember who God is. And who is God? Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Who takes care of them? They don't worry. Because they know their Heavenly Father will care for them. And you are much more valuable than they are to God. And look at the flowers of the field, these beautiful flowers. You know, they don't worry. They just come up year after year after year. Who does that? Your Heavenly Father does. And if He takes care of them, He'll take care of you. And your Heavenly Father knows what you need. 
He understands that these you have needs by being, by being human in this world. You need money and you need possessions and, and you need things. And, it's, and he understands that. He's not saying to deny the need. He's saying trust God to be a part of meeting your needs. To be the answer to your needs. Trust him. Remember who God is. He is your Father who created you and loves you. And He takes care of you. Now understand, taking care of us and meeting our needs doesn't necessarily mean giving us everything we want. That's how I'd like to interpret it. Right? Okay, God, you meet my needs. Give me everything I want. He doesn't do that because I think one of the reasons he doesn't do that is because He knows if we have everything we want, our natural tendency is to say to God... You know what? I'm good. I don't really need you anymore. And that leads us to a path away from God, away from the source of life and joy and peace. So I think that's one of the reasons God allows us to live with an element of need. Because it forces us to keep coming to Him and trusting Him. And trusting God leads us to the source of life source of joy and peace and hope because it leads us to Him. And Jesus is saying, what's more important? Having stuff, feeling secure in the stuff that's going to eventually disappear, really knowing who your Father in Heaven is, understanding who He is, seeing Him, learning of Him, drawing close to Him, and finding desires of your heart met by Him. Once we understand who God is, once we begin to remember who God is, then the natural, most natural thing in the world to do is to seek His kingdom above everything else. Sometimes that we use that, that verse, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and, and live righteously. We pull that out of the context of it and it feels like just one more rule. One more burden placed on us. But Jesus says here, the reason we do that is because we know who God is. We know that God is our loving Father. So the most natural thing in the world is to seek our loving Father. To seek His kingdom. To want what He wants. To want the world to be designed the way God designs it. To want the world to operate the way God wants it to operate. To want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven as we prayed a few moments ago. We want... God's way. And we seek Him. We give our life to Him. So instead of of obsessing about this stuff, we in essence obsess about God. Instead of focusing on the stuff, we focus on God. We seek Him. Like we do when we lose something valuable and we tear our house apart trying to find it. You might even do it two or three times because it is valuable and we know it's there. We just will do anything to find it. That's what he's wanting from us, to seek him like that, to get our focus on him. And that's really what it means to live righteously, too. It's taking the mindset of the Beatitudes, recognizing to live righteously is to live with the mindset of the kingdom. And that means we're thinking a lot more about other people than we are about ourselves. That means when we see people in need, we want to do what we can to meet that need instead of only thinking selfishly about our needs. I read something recently, and I I think it's right. I hadn't thought of it this way before. But the person said that 
we often think that living righteously is focusing our attention on developing our purity. It's focusing on our purity. And he said, what that really does is it leads us not to righteousness, but to self-righteousness. Because all we're doing is thinking about ourselves. What we're called to do is to think about God. What we're called to do is to think about what God wants, who God is, surrendering to Him, being poor in spirit, mourning for the burdens and the concerns of the world, being humble, seeking after righteousness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That's what then, we, we, our focus is on God, then He makes us pure. He changes us. And this is the calling of Jesus. I think that has a lot to do with what Jesus is talking about in verses 22 and 23. He says, talked about the eyes. Our eyes are, are what we focus on. It's how we see. It is where our attention is. And you know, what we focus on has a lot to do with how we interpret things. It, it, just think about the political world we're in right now. And if you know someone who has a completely different viewpoint of the political situation in America right now. You feel like it's incredulous to think of how they could think that way, right? That's because they just have their, they have different eyes. They're focused differently. They see things differently. And it has a lot to do with, with just how we think about things and how we process things and what's important. All of that is our vision, our focus. And Jesus is saying we need to have our vision and focus on God so that we remember and see who he is. And that's what the spiritual disciplines are for. So you look up at the earlier part of chapter 6 where Jesus is talking about spiritual disciplines. In that particular context, he talks about giving and prayer and fasting. But there are lots of other spiritual disciplines as well. Solitude, silence, worship, reading the scripture, serving one another. All of these things help develop a, a vision for who God is. And, and we feel like they're confining to us. And quite frankly, they are confining to us. That's the whole point. They are a way of disciplining our mind and our eyes and our focus so that we begin to see things like God does. And that's why we do them. That's why we practice them. It, it's sort of like uh, eyeglasses, contact lenses. You know, you have all different kinds of eyeglasses that, that you can find out there. Even ones on a pig. And, uh, you know, you... I have to, for my driver's license, it has one restriction on it, corrective lenses. And nobody wants me driving without my glasses on, believe me. I can't see the big E on the chart in the doctor's office without my glasses on. I cannot see the, I can't tell you what time it is back there. I can't see any of your faces. Even if I squint a little bit, I can barely see them. So you don't want me driving on the road. And I read this week that you not only can get fined for that, you can go to jail for that. And I think that's probably a good thing that we make it serious because it's dangerous for me, it's dangerous for people in my car, it's dangerous for pedestrians, anybody else in another car. I can't see a thing where I'm going. And you say, you're so stupid. Why would you drive without your glasses on? Well, because I want to do what I want to do. I'm tired of wearing my glasses. They make little notches on my nose and, and they hurt the back of my ears. And, you know, and, and I, I, I think I look better without them or whatever the case may be. And so I'm not wearing them. I'm not doing it. No government's going to tell me I have to wear my glasses. Right? Yeah. And you say, you're an idiot. Why would you do that? 
You're putting yourself and everybody else in danger. And besides, if you walk around without your glasses on, you probably get horrific headaches because your eyes are straining so much. Everything is blurry. Why would you do that? Why not use what's available to you so you can see? And the spiritual disciplines are given to us so we can see. So we can see what God is like. So we can understand Him and experience Him and 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 learn of who He is and remember who He is. And it changes our whole world view. It changes our focus. It changes how we see the stuff that we have. And, and it, it allows us to, instead of worrying about these things, we learn to trust God about these things. And the seriousness of this is... Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you treasure, whatever you seek, whatever you desire, whatever the passion of your heart is, whatever you obsess about, that's what you become. And that's where you end up. And the choice before us is we can end up getting to the end of our days and having really nothing because all of it slips through our fingers. Or we can come to the end of our days and realize we have Jesus. And we have, we have invested ourselves in eternity. Because we've been generous with what we have. And because we have trusted God about what we have and what we don't have. And because our focus and our obsession is on Him instead of on ourselves. so hard to live that way because everything in our culture tells us the exact opposite. We are continually bombarded with messages that say, no, it's about who has the most stuff wins. It's about getting more stuff. It's about grabbing more stuff. It's about hanging on to your stuff. We're continually bombarded with that. And one of the examples that comes to me of that is the game of life. We played the game of life when I was a kid. Played with our children. It's a fun game. As you can see, this family is really enjoying themselves as they play the game of life. You know it's fun. You know everybody wants to play this game. And you know you get on the little track with your little car and you put your little pegs in it, blue and white and pink pegs and you go around the board and you encounter all kinds of things, good and bad. And you go buy paydays and collect your salary and and in the new game you get these little life tiles. And and the little life tiles have stuff written on them about things that you get or you do. You win the Nobel prize or you you, you invent something new or you win the lottery or whatever it may be. And, and, and you get to the, and all these things have dollar values on them. And you get to the end of the game and when everybody pulls into the last place, the instructions say, here's who wins. The person that has the most money. That's who wins. And everything in the game is equated to money. You do something good, you get money. You invent something, you get money. Everything is about money. Everything is about what you can accumulate. And I know it's a game, and of course, that's how you play the game. That's how games are. But 
it's intriguing to me, it's interesting to me that this is the game of life. And the subtle message is, this is how you win at life. Who has the most stuff? And Jesus, in his counterintuitive, countercultural way, keeps telling us, no, it's about who's closest to Jesus. I have surrendered most to Jesus. I who trust Jesus. We're going to take just a couple of moments now to, to think about this prayer of confession. And um, we're not going to, I don't think we're going to pray it together, but I do want us to meditate upon it. Just to think about it. Maybe this is your prayer. Because I, in one way or another, all of us wrestle with this. All of us struggle with this. And let's be honest. And let God speak into our hearts to acknowledge our need for Him and to seek His forgiveness. Father, indeed, fill us with faith to seek you, to trust that you're more than enough. For Christ. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has lavished on each of us. Morning by morning, I wake up to find the power
face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.